Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I would like to invite you to stay tuned. It's going to be 30 minutes of some motivation, some inspiration, some education, but never any manipulation because we don't manipulate people. We're not trying to get you to join anything. This is not about giving anybody any money. This is not about selling anything. This show is about giving you something, giving you accurate information, information from the canon of Scripture or the Bible. Yes, it's a show about the Bible, but maybe not like you've heard before, no ranting and no raving. Just solid, sound, pertinent information. Information that will help you verify and possibly identify the plan of God for your life. And if you are able to do that, you have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan. That's up to you. But my job as host of the Flotline is to simply give you accurate information. Information you can depend on, not human speculation but accurate information from the Bible, the Word of God, the canon of Scripture. You can trust it. It won't lie to you. God is not a liar, and His Word is truth. So if you have any interest at all in the plan of God or what it has for you, I trust that you will stay with me and that you will listen. Remember, the name of the show is The Flot Line, F-L-O-T, and that stands for the Forward Line of Troops. And what we're trying to do is to use a military analogy to explain how the Christian life works. As a Christian, you can establish a main line of resistance in your soul made up of 10 unique problem-solving devices. And this main line of resistance will stop the outside source of adversity before it becomes the inside source of stress. That's why we say all the time adversity is inevitable and yet the stress is optional. Because adversity is what circumstances do to us, however stress is what we do to ourselves. And one of the greatest ways that we face adversity, that we face testing and stress, is having to go it alone. Having to go it alone. Under unfair testing, under someone who is accusing you of something, and everyone else abandons you or forsakes you. Maybe even your friends walked away from you, and you have to go it alone. This is so true of life in general. When people who are magnificent people have to go it alone, and yet that's what makes the difference between greatness and simply being a player in the game of life. Those that are able to go it alone, even in the face of unfair testing. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Because there is, it does seem, a time in the life of every believer, every Christian, where God will ask you to go it alone. He will ask you to step up, in effect, to the witness stand, where you will be cross-examined by none other than Satan himself. So you may ask yourself, what is this show about? It's about going it alone through the valley 
of evidence testing. Evidence testing is a particular type of testing that Christians face in their life. As we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are mandated to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And we are mandated by the Bible to move from being baby Christians to mature Christians. And that doesn't happen just by logging time on earth. That happens by studying to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. As you grow, you are tested. And thus you are warned in the Bible in Ephesians 6 to put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the strategy of the devil. Satan has a strategy. And that strategy is to eliminate you from being a threat to him and his freedom that he is seeking. He does not want to go to the lake of fire. He is fighting going to the lake of fire. And the fact that you and I are here is part of his trial. It is part of the angelic conflict. It is part of his appeal to God when he was sentenced to the lake of fire. And thus we are here. And this is our opportunity by believing in Jesus Christ and receiving him as our Savior and trusting in the plan of God to verify God's justice is always fair and that Satan has not been unfairly condemned. So going it alone is part of the test that believers must face. To document this, I want to go to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we have a passage where our Lord Jesus Christ experiences his own evidence testing. Before he ever begins his earthly ministry, he has to go through this evidence testing in, in Matthew 4. The Bible says this. So let me give you some principles. Here we are. Number one, his mission was finally able to begin after 30 years of preparation. So the Holy Spirit prepared the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 years before he began his public ministry. The principle behind that is the greater the impact, the more time needed in preparation. And the three-year impact of our Lord and Savior, the anointed Son of God, 30 years was actually about what it took him to get ready because those three years turned around the history of the entire world. Now, here's another principle. When you presume to speak for God, you better get it right. There is danger associated with misrepresenting God because no one can misrepresent the righteousness of God and get away with it. That's why it requires many years of preparation when someone is saying, well, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm called to be an evangelist. Without the necessary knowledge of the Word of God, without understanding the Scriptures, they can do damage and they can get themselves in serious trouble with God, especially if they misrepresent God. So the Lord Jesus Christ had pleased his Father in everything that he had done from birth up to this moment. It started, you may remember, the Bible starts documenting Christ around the age of 12 years old. 
and he understood his father's plan. You remember when his parents took him to the Passover and they lost him and couldn't find him, and they went back and found him teaching in the temple at 12. This is critical because some younger people need to understand this. Even when he was a young man, he knew God had a plan for his life, and he obeyed that plan. And the question that we can always ask young people, even 10, 11, 12 years old, is will you be true to what God calls you to do? Is it possible that a child at the age of 12 or 11 could understand God's future plan for his life? Is it possible some some child could say, I know God's calling me into the ministry even at 11 or 12 years old? And I think the answer is yes. But the question is, will they be true to that call? Because this is one thing that Satan will try to do. He will try to distract you. He will try to defeat you. He will try to discourage you from ever answering the call. So the principle that goes with this is God honors those who honor him. He honors those who honor him. So honors means this, that he gives you blessing in time and blessing in eternity called escrow blessings. So when you honor God and you honor God's plan, not only does God bless you in time, but he also blesses you in eternity. Now here's another principle I want you to know before we get into this passage. The Satan was very much aware of who Jesus was. He had known about him ever since his birth, and now he was about to enter into a public ministry and present himself as the Messiah. Thus Satan had to put into plan, and in effect, a plan that he thought might neutralize the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he requested and received permission to test Jesus. There is no doubt about that. He requested and received permission to test Jesus. Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Now, that's pretty obvious. The Holy Spirit knew what was coming. Jesus had fasted, and he was now led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. The word tested is parazo in the Greek New Testament, and it means to try to make proof of or to entice him or to provoke him to sin to go against the plan of God. Now, what you may or may not know is something that's very critical here. The entire life of Jesus Christ, there's never been anyone like him on this earth. He was God, and he was man, and he was in one body. Undiminished deity and true humanity in one body. No one's ever had that here before. No one's ever been like that before. God-man, half God, half man, the God-man. And I don't know if half-half is the way to say it, but he was the God-man. Now, what people don't realize is that as God, he would never, never use his deity to sustain his humanity. 
He never would do that. He always, as a man, depended on God the Holy Spirit to sustain him. Yes, he did use his deity to feed the 5,000. He did use his deity to heal the sick, the blind, the dumb, the lame. But he never used his deity to sustain his own personal life. He never did that. This is called, in theological terms, the doctrine of kenosis. And this is exactly what Satan tried to do to start with. He tried to get our Lord Jesus Christ to use his power as God to feed himself. That was the first test our Lord had to face. Turn this rock into bread. And had he turned a simple rock into a piece of bread, you and I could not be saved today. You say, that's how do, what do you mean? Well, he would have sinned. He would have stepped outside of the plan of God. He would have used his very own deity to sustain his humanity. And that was not the kenosis prescription. He had to depend on the Holy Spirit, just like you and I had to do. See, here's the deal. If the Lord Jesus Christ had done one thing as a human that you and I could not do as humans, then we could not follow his example. As a human, he laid down a path, a trail. He cut a template, and that template we can wear, we can put on, we can be Christ-like. We can live like he lived in the devil's world. The only difference between us is that he was not born into sin, nor did he ever sin. For you and I are born into sin, and we have a sin nature. Thus, we do sin. But Jesus was obviously tempted here to sin. He was provoked to sin. And this testing or this tempting is one of two different categories of evidence testing. Now, there were many other times when our Lord was tested as a young man before this ever happened, and he never sinned. But on this particular occasion, this is the evidence test before he begins his large, huge public ministry that would transform and change the world and change you and me. So the first test is the relationship to the plan of God test. God had a plan for his life, and Satan had a plan as well. So the test was, are you going to follow God's plan and starve to death, or will you follow my plan and feed yourself? Since there's nothing wrong with eating bread, go ahead and turn a rock into bread and feed yourself. How would you be any use to God dead? God can't use you if you starve to death, so you should feed yourself. And the Lord Jesus Christ quoted scripture in relationship to that. So this is a test. The relationship to the plan of God test. The Lord Jesus Christ as a human had to pass that test. And this is a test you will have to pass also. Does God have a plan for your life? The answer is yes. 
the sixth problem-solving device that we've talked about many times on this show is a personal sense of destiny. God has a plan for your life. He has a place he wants you to be. He has something he wants you to think. He has a way that he wants you to live. He has a plan for your life. And how will you relate to that plan? Will you fulfill the plan or will you fail? And that was the test the Lord Jesus Christ faced. Another type of evidence testing, other than the relationship to the plan of God test, is the relationship to life test. And this is the test taken by Job. Job also experienced evidence testing. And everything that he experienced happened in the course of one day. So the pattern for the relationship with God test, the plan of God test, is found right here in this evidence testing that our Lord Jesus Christ endured. He had to sustain his relationship with the Holy Spirit. He could have said, no, I'm not going. I'm, I haven't eaten in 40 days. I'm, I'm not prepared to go into the wilderness alone. But he went. He trusted the Holy Spirit. He let the Holy Spirit lead him and guide him, even to a place of danger and testing. He also had a relationship with the Word of God, because every time Satan tempted him, he quoted Scripture, and he had a relationship with the plan of God, because every time Satan tempted him, he passed and he endured. So to solve each of these tests, our Lord uses the Word of God in his soul, Bible doctrine in his soul. That's the greatest power known to man in the human race, far more powerful than an atom bomb, far more powerful than any weather-related event, the power of the Word of God in the soul of a man, much more powerful than performing a miracle. That's what Satan wanted him to do, to perform a miracle to feed himself. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, depended on the power of the Word of God in his soul. Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock into pieces? Here in this passage, the Word of God is compared to a fire and to a hammer. The Hebrew for word is not my word. The Hebrew of that is debar, and it means my speech, my content, those things that I say. Is it not like a fire? Ash, ash in the Hebrew. And it's used figuratively of anger and wrath of God. God's word can be like a fire. Do you remember 1 Kings 18, where God's judgment fell on the prophets of Baal? Do you remember what Elijah said? You fellows, you can call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. Here's the principle. Do not play games with God. You might get burned. 
Do not play games with God. You might get burned. Am I being facetious when I say that? No, not at all. Note Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and he put incense in it, and he offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. And so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Here is the justice of God executing judgment by fire on two of the four sons of Aaron, the brother of Moses. So, yes, God judges by fire. Here are some principles. One, sincerity is never a license to be stupid, and yet people do it all the time. Number two, a right thing has to be done in a right way. You can do all the right things in the wrong way, and it's simply called wrongdoing. Because if a right thing is not done in a right way, then it's wrong. So the death of these two boys, Nadab and Abihu, was a result of their own rebellious actions. They knew not to go into the temple. They knew not to go into the Holy of Holies, and they did it anyhow. And number four, when you presume to speak for God, if you're a pastor, if you're an evangelist, if you're a Christian who blogs on the internet, who sends out daily blog reports or daily uh, musings about what you think God is saying to you, you're playing with fire. You say the wrong thing. You misrepresent God. And you're going to be judged. And I would warn you, I would caution you, be very careful about how you represent God in spite of what you think God wants you to say. His word is like fire, Jeremiah said. He also said his word is like a hammer. And that's the Hebrew word patesh. It's destruction, devastation. Listen to Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. This is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples when they ask about the upcoming events. When this earth is destroyed by fire, as the Bible says it will happen, the word of God will endure forever. The words of Jesus Christ will endure forever. What we have in the canon of Scripture is alive and powerful, Hebrew says, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So even though this universe may be destroyed, the word of God will endure forever. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword? What does that mean? That two-edged sword called a machaira is an amazing instrument because it's what the Romans used to conquer the world. It was not the sword the Thracians used in 400 B.C. called the Romphalia. 
That's not it. And it wasn't the Zephos or the thrusting sword, nor the Dolon, which was a hidden sword. None of those words were used. The word used by Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews is Machaira, the ancient metal of Machaira. See, these metals were very brittle and broke very easily, but the Romans, they introduced iron swords, and their swords were the most ingenious invention of warfare at the time. So when you use the iron of the Word of God, you are using the most powerful weapon available today. It can deliver you from mental attitude frustrations. It can deliver you from fear as well as prepare you with an objective sense of destiny, backed with God's divine promises that live and abide forever. This evidence testing can come without warning. It can come very quickly. And the key to passing this sort of test that our Lord is about to endure is to think the Word of God to recall it very quickly because one doesn't have time to call up the pastor and ask him what he should do. Look at Job. It all happened in one day. So being led by the Holy Spirit requires obedience, obedience on your part and my part and obedience on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan did not come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to Satan. This testing that our Lord experienced came when he was in a very weak state physically. That's another reason to realize why thinking is critical when you're tested. It's so easy to get full of self-pity. It's so easy to doubt God when you're suffering. It's so easy to get your eyes on yourself. We call it the original selfie. That's an internet term for taking pictures of yourself and putting them on the internet. So when you get in these times of weakened state, you can get frustrated. And that brings out the real you, where even you can begin to doubt God. You know, just like our Lord Jesus Christ, every one of those disciples, they also went through evidence testing. And the key to remember is that each of us, we must go it alone if we have tendencies of legalism, we may be tempted to move away from the sound doctrine of the Word of God and look for new doctrines that make the problems go away. And if we have tendencies toward lasciviousness, then we may move to fulfill the pleasures of the flesh to dull the pain and give comfort by escaping reality. But if you fail under evidence testing, can God still use you? And the answer to that is yes. Look at David. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. Look at yourself. If you're still alive, God has a plan for your life. Never doubt it. Never forget it. And always remember, you are to be called to the witness stand to give proof before you'll ever go to heaven, I assure you. Not proof of your salvation, no, but proof that you trust God, just like our Lord Jesus Christ offered proof. And that's what we will pick up with next Sunday. Please come back. Until then, it's Rick Hughes saying thank you for being with me here on the Flotline.
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.